Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma crew. I'm so glad you're here today. It is a great day to have a constellation conversation, don't you think? Constellation conversation is a conversation involving the whole constellation of adoption. And this is a collaboration that I have started doing with Fireside Adoptees, who I talk about a lot here. They have recently started a constellation page. So if anyone in the constellation can be on that page. So if you're not, go ahead and find them on Facebook and join that group. So today I have three guests, one for every leg of the triad. I have Donna Marie, who you have heard on my show multiple times. I have Catherine Vogley, who I just did two episodes with the birth mother. She wrote a book, I Need to Tell You, which it is awesome. If you haven't read it, need to read it. The third guest I have is Beth Syverson, and she is also a podcaster, and she also has an adoption-focused podcast, and I'm going to be interviewing her in the coming weeks, so you'll be hearing from her on a separate episode about her story, but today she is part of the Triad Conversation. She is an adoptive parent and has a lot of insight about the fog even being an adoptive parent. And that's our discussion today is the fog. I believe that each leg of the triad can be in the fog, the birth mother, the adoptee, the adoptive parent, all of us have been told narratives that we have believed for a long, long time. And it's time that we tell the truth and educate the world. So I'm so happy these three were brave enough to come on the show and have a discussion together to show that we can be unified. We can help each other. We can support each other to get this narrative out there, the true narrative. These three ladies are doing a lot of great things. So there will be a lot of links in the show notes. So go find them if you have connected to any of them on the show today. My hope when you're listening to these ladies and all their different stories is that you can find a little compassion for each person in the triad. That is the goal of bringing the constellation together. We need to work together to change the world and the narrative that's out there about adoption. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Constellation Conversation, where our goal is to support the adoptee constellation by educating the world and sharing our adoption stories. And this is a peer discussion where we're going to talk about our adoption experiences in the hopes to make others on the same journey feel supported. So today I have three guests on the panel and the topic we're discussing is the fog and how being in the fog affected each one of us, our relationships and what narratives we were told that kept us in the fog. So welcome to the show, everybody. And we're going to start with introductions and I'm Melissa. I'm an adoptee. I'm the host of Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles podcast, and the curator of this Constellation Conversation, which is also a collaboration with Fireside Adoptees. So um, I'm on the leadership team of Fireside Adoptees, and I just want to help and give hope to other adoptees that are navigating their journey. And since I've immersed myself in the adoption community in the last 
eight months, I've seen so many people hurting on all sides of the constellation. And I just felt I had to do something. So I curated this forum in hopes to open up the dialogue with the entire triad. So let's get to know the panel. Let's start with Donna. Hi, Donna. Hi, everyone. Hi, Melissa. Hello. So, yeah, my name is Donna Marie and I am an adoptee. I was relinquished at three months old and uh, my adopted parents um, are, I was adopted in the UK and that's where I lived. And my birth mother was also in the UK. So I am a transracial adoptee. I'm um, those that can see this. I'm a mixed race. And my adopted parents are both white. And uh, that was the environment that I that I went into, although my birth mother was um, uh, in the same city as my adopted parents. Um, my reason for being adopted was um, I believed uh, and always believed and, until recently, actually, was that, that my birth mother couldn't cope. Uh, and um, it was the right thing for her to do to give me up for adoption. And my adopted mum saw a, a magazine that actually highlighted this issue with mixed race babies and single white parents not able to cope. And so my adopted mum was there for me and she adopted me. And then soon after, she uh, fostered lots of other children whom I also do still today consider to be my siblings because it was long term and they had um three biological children of their own two of which um were surviving uh a mentally handicapped sister who sadly died um and um my brother who's a few years older than me that I actually get on really well with um my adopted parents uh thankfully loved me unconditionally and you could say, considering a lot of other stories that I've heard over the last year, that I was extremely lucky that my adopted parents were there for me at that time. Um, that said, as I'm sure will come out in this podcast, it wasn't easy. Um, but that that was that's that's an introduction for, for me as an adoptee. Thanks. Uh, Beth, why don't you go next? Okay, thanks. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah. I'm Beth Stiverson. I am an adoptive mom. I adopted my son Joey when he was seven months old from Japan. Um, his dad is Japanese American, but um, we're no longer married. But uh, he, you had one of you had to be Japanese to adopt from Japan, and um, it was fine, fine, fine until he hit adolescence, and then kind of everything imploded. He uh, started vaping, got heavily addicted to substances and had some major mental health issues. And he's still struggling with all of that. He's now 19. And in the middle of that, when he was, I think, 17, two years ago, he had the idea to start a podcast to help other families, uh, particularly around substances, you know, other people with teens that they don't know what's going on. And we wanted to educate people about substances and mental health and adoption and addiction and that kind of thing. So we started safe home podcast, uh, in 2021. And then just recently this earlier this year, I changed the name to unraveling adoption to focus more on adoption trauma, because that seems to be where my, my heart is and my passion to help other adoptive parents understand, 
and be more educated than I was when I adopted. So thanks for having me on. Nice to be with you, Donna and Catherine, too, on the panel. And Beth, we're just going to put out there that your son's okay with anything that you're talking about today. Oh, yes. Thank you. Sometimes I forget. Yes. I ask him every uh, several weeks. I say, are you still fine with me talking about everything? And yes, he he's no longer on the podcast with me all the time just because he's in um, uh, using substances and kind of in and out of just trying to manage his life. But he's very, very interested in me continuing and wants our story to be told. He says, mom. I'm an open book. I want everyone to learn from our story. So thank you for reminding me because yeah, I do. I always am sensitive about that. And I want, I I always want his uh, uh, approval and he not only approves, but he's like, go mom, keep going, keep going. <laughs> I just feel in my heart that he's going to do great things. I really, really I, do. I have, you know, major dreams for him that he's going to change the world. So yeah, I do too. Keep I don't alive. even know him, but I do. I, I know too. he's, he's remarkable. He seems I like y'all can kid. meet him someday. Yeah. Thanks Beth. Thank All right, Catherine, you're up. Good morning. Um, I'm Catherine Vogley. I'm, um, uh, uh, birth mother, first mother from the baby scoop era. My daughter was taken in 1969. Um, I live in Portland, Oregon. I, uh, uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh and I, I say that I ran from my decision all the way until I couldn't go any further, um, to the West coast. Um, I, I want to thank you so much. I, I, I can't say enough about how important this is to people in the triad. Um, all of us have challenges, no matter which part of the triad you are. And I think, uh, a lot of people are denying that they have yeah. problems and their problems then go inside. Whereas if we can talk about things, share uh, our feelings, our fears, um, our shame, um, and then it helps to dispel it. Yeah. So thank you again. Yeah. So when did you give up your baby? When, when was that? Oh, um, 1969. Okay. Um, baby scoop era <laughs> Catholic charities. I was, you know, I was, uh, it was very shameful. I was not married. It was very shameful to become pregnant. Um, uh, my boyfriend didn't want to get married. Uh, the pregnancy was hidden, um, kept secret. Uh, I went away. My siblings didn't even know where I was or what was going on. And, um, I had the baby. I came back. Uh, back home to in Pittsburgh and resumed nursing school, went to a different school. Um, and behind me, my first school of nursing, uh, my friends, um, I just left them because I couldn't deal with all the lying. Um, and so I just, my mother, after the baby was born, my mother kept saying, forget about it, forget about it, move forward. And she said that so constantly that I um, eventually did and, uh, built a big wall all around this experience. I wouldn't allow myself to think about it to the point where, um, I became very depressed and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And, uh, I lived my life that way, feeling this, um, self-hatred, this, uh, shame and never being good enough. Didn't know what was wrong with me. 
And uh, you talk about the fog. It took decades before I discovered what my quote unquote problem was. And uh, mine was fog wise. Mine was more like um, a black blanket that was just covering me. It was not a fog. It was, it was just a lead wall all around me, top, bottom and sides that I didn't, I didn't know. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. We'll get more into it here. Um, so Donna, what did the fog look like for you as an adoptee and what were you in the fog about exactly? Thank you. Um, Catherine just alluded to something there about a, a wall and a, and a, a blanket and it, it, it felt, it, it, it really was like a, a, a wall. It was as if I was hiding behind this wall um it it was as though something was missing but I didn't know what it was and I was a very compliant young girl up until 12 I was really good you know as I explained it was a fostering environment there was a lot of children there was a lot of crazy fighting da, 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 but it was never me I was always very good but I was always very lonely I had a lot of stomach issues um and a lot of loneliness feelings I used to daydream a lot thankfully they were good dreams I used to think positive things about myself what I could do if I wasn't this it was like it was like being at fault somehow like there was something wrong with me but I didn't know I didn't know this I just felt this this was my normal and I didn't know adoption was anything to do with it at all because my mum and dad loved me and I was saved so it was a not knowing. Fog is not knowing, not not understanding, not feeling understood, not but just knowing as well that there's something fundamentally wrong. Yeah. But you don't know what it is. But I was so good and I have been all the way through it, just sort of masking this and getting on anyway, and actually doing pretty well considering now I look at it and I think, now I understand. Going back to what it looked like and yeah, the fog really for me, Melissa, was because, and it's not the fault of my adopted parents, but they, I didn't realise that me wanting to find my birth mother was normal. I was, and neither did my adopted parents. They were like, you know, this is abnormal. This is, this shouldn't be happening. My cousin doesn't do it. So I think I was in there because of, the narrative and society and of course if someone's going to ask me gosh you must be so because there was a big house there was a big family and there was love so the amount of times that I got told how fortunate I was and how lucky I am growing up having that narrative and conditioned into me it just enforced that wall for me to stay behind that wall because it didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. Catherine, did you have something to add? 
or ask? I wanted to ask Donna if uh, if her parents ever said anything about finding. Did anybody? Did they ever say anything about finding your first parents? They didn't. Um, it was only when I got older. Did you feel like they discouraged that idea? No, no I, I think it was very difficult for my parents because there was all these other birth parents coming into the home with social services to see the foster children. Oh. So I think it was slightly different. So I didn't um, I didn't voice anything until I got to 12 or maybe younger that I really wanted to see my birth mom. Mm. And then it got more desperate and desperate and desperate. Mm. And, and I won't go into this now. There is a podcast on it with Melissa, so you can listen. But um, yeah, I did. My mom, my, my adopted mom did help me to find a picture of my birth mother. So um, that, that's because it just got excruciatingly painful for all of us. You know, the desperation was just like, it was like a pressure cooker. It's like, how can everybody else see their birth parents and I'm not allowed? So she oh. she did, my parents did allow me to get a photograph. But then there's a whole other story that continues, which we won't, won't go into here. But, um, but yeah, so they were supportive. My mom, I think, I'd love to have conversations with her because she is still alive. My mom, I think, probably thought herself too, this isn't right. It's not right. It's kind of funny that I was just thinking right now how, because I had a positive adoption experience as well, but almost that gives you even more, why am I feeling this way? I have a great life. Like I have no excuse. And so it's hard because you don't have those excuses, you know, that I had a horrible life. I had horrible parents. And that makes you, I think, stay in the fog even more because you had a good experience, you know? Yeah. Beth, you want to go ahead and tell your fog story? Sure, sure. I was in deep, deep fog. Uh, I just had no idea that my son's adoption would have any effect. Honestly, I, uh, the agency we worked with in Japan was just this, it was just like a doctor and his wife wasn't really even an agency. There was like no adoption education at all. And honestly, I didn't look into it. I was just ignorant, which is why I'm speaking out now. So other parents are not as ignorant as I was. But I just thought, okay, well, here we are. We're a family. We love each other. It's all good. And I didn't even think about it until my son and trigger warning um, uh, about suicide. Uh, obviously, it uh, it didn't go through, but my son tried to kill himself several, many times, actually, over the last couple of years. And it was then on that crisis moment, the first time that he tried to kill himself, and I was flipping out as you would, um, that, uh, you know, a few weeks into this, an adoptive friend of mine, uh, really just an acquaintance. <clears throat> uh, she said, Beth, isn't your son adopted? I said, yeah. And she said, you might want to look into that. You might want to read the primal wound. I have this adoption therapist if you're interested. And so I signed up, I read, and I was like, Ugh. Ooh, it was a tough pill to swallow. It was like, oh, shoot, what did I do? Oh, my gosh. And then guilt and shame. And and I then I got into super mom mode and then got Joey into every therapist, <laughs> everything, all the things. And um, that didn't help all that much. I mean, it helped a little but Then it kind of pathologized my son, which wasn't good either. But uh, that was my coming out of the fog is 
my, my friend gratefully came along and said, Hey, you might want to look at this. So then everything started to make more sense. Yeah. My, that had to be a really hard read for you. The primal wound. Yeah, it was. And it, for some reason, I just kept reading it. Yeah. I just kept going. Cause I know a lot of people adoptees too. I think they start reading that book and they're like, well, closing that one. That one's too hard. Yeah. But I guess I was so desperate. I was just like, I need to find some answers because my son is totally falling apart and I want to keep him alive. And so I was just looking for anything Yeah, and that it really clicked and it helped it for me. It helped that Nancy Verrier, the author of that book is an adoptive parent. So she comes from it from that angle, which some adoptees don't like, <laughs> um, but which I understand, but it, for me, it was helpful. It's like, Oh, she's an adoptive mom. She gets this and she's, being vulnerable enough to let us know what we need to know. So yeah. Catherine, you read the primal wound as well, didn't you? I did a long time ago. And how was that for you reading it? Um, like I said, I read it a long time ago before I really, um, you know, before I was in contact with my daughter, um, it kind of validated everything I knew mm. without, intellectualizing it, you know, I, I felt it. Um, and, and so it validated my feelings. And like Donna was saying, you know, for so long, there was something wrong with me. There was something missing, um, in me. And I, you know, I had, um, a dysfunctional family. And so I blamed it on that not ever thinking that it had anything to do with giving up my child. Yeah. So what did the fog look like for you then? You were talking about how it felt like a, a sheet over you, a black, a lead box, a lead box. (laughs) Yeah. A lead box. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I guess I would like to talk about when, um, that lead box started to crack open. I was in therapy, um, having discovered that I had symptoms of PTSD and I've never been in the military. And, and I always associated that acronym with, um, military experiences. Although these days it's gone way beyond that. Um, and maybe it did back then too. I just wasn't aware of it, but anyway, I discovered that I had the symptoms. And so I sought this therapist who was a specialist in that, Um, and I saw her for, um, over a year before I got to the place where I started to feel better. Every visit I had with her, I would cry and I would always apologize because I felt, you know, I was embarrassed that I was sitting there crying like a stupid, uh, weak person. (laughs) I'm very self-deprecating in case you can't tell. And that comes from my, my, uh, 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 family of origin, I guess you would say from my parents anyway. Um, so this, so I was getting better and I had a session where I didn't cry. And for the first time in all those many months, I didn't cry. And I thought about that as I was leaving that day thinking, Oh my gosh, I didn't cry today. I must be getting better. And then it was the next visit that the, the therapist, um, I told her how I was feeling better and 
uh, um, she sat back. She wasn't, she didn't talk very much. She encouraged me to, to, you know, she would ask me very short questions and then, or she would reflect on what I was saying. So anyway, she was, she was quiet and, um, she said very quietly, maybe it's time to find this person. And I didn't, honest to God, I didn't know what she was talking about. I was still in that lead box. <laughs> and uh, I said, so the, the baby's father's name in the book was Gavin. So I'll use that name. So I said to her, you mean Gavin? And she said, no. She didn't say, no, your child. She just said, no. And I said, you mean the baby? And so my baby was in her late 40s by then. And she said, yes. And I I think up until that moment, my child had been so, um, I had protected myself so well or protected her, I don't know, from reality that you know, I wasn't, the records were sealed for 99 years. I wasn't allowed to look for her. Um, there was just, I had to basically pretend that she wasn't. And um, my, it was shocking when she said that because I trusted this woman by then. And she was an authority. She was an authoritative figure. And she was saying, maybe you should look for this person. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, 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 a good friend saying that who, who I might say all of these things. Well, you know, well, what if this, what if that, you know, it was this therapist saying that it was such a shock. And so my first inclination was, uh, well, what would I do? What would I do with her if I found her? I mean, that just sounds so absurd to me now, but that's what came out of me. Um, and then uh, by the time I got home that day. I couldn't wait to find her. Mm. Suddenly she became real. She, I didn't know if she was alive or not. Uh, um, that was my first thing was maybe she, what if she's dead? Um, and then I, there was no stopping me. I couldn't think of anything else. So I went from not thinking about finding her or her as a real person. It was all about me the whole time. It was about me, um, my shame and my heartache, et cetera. But then um, once she opened that lead box, it all of it just came pouring out and I had to find her. Yeah. You finally got permission. You didn't know that you could yep. do that until someone mm -mm. allowed you to do that. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So let's talk about the narratives that were all told in each role that kind of keep us in the fog. Um, what were you told growing up and from society and what were the actual truths? So Donna, let's start with you. Well, the, the first narrative was that my birth mother was, was, was um, unable to cope, to look after me. And, 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 and I, you know, that was, that's just, was your mother can't cope and you're in this home that can cope so this is why you're here you know it's uh okay you're a different color to everyone else but at least you're okay now you know and and that's yeah that's definite narrative that 
that stayed with me. And and actually, even when I found out that my birth mother was was dead, so I found out my birth mother was dead at 12. And I still didn't, obviously, my life went completely crazy then. But I was still on the assumption that she couldn't cope. I mean, in, in, a, in a way, then it sort of proves it, I guess, if you think about it, because she's not, she's, she's took her own life. So she really couldn't cope with me or herself. So um, that was a definitely strong negative um, narrative. And I think I touched on one before, which was the, um, the, the to be grateful, you know, to, I, I, and it's difficult. It was difficult for me in a way, I think, because so many of the other children were fostered. And there was myself, because my, my sister, my, the biological daughter they had uh, passed away. So it was really me and my biological brother that had the name, the family name. And so I think I felt like, how can I possibly like throw that back at them? Because all these children, I assumed, would love to be in my position. So that was a very strong narrative that I think I kind of built up in myself, perhaps. Um, yeah, so I, I feel they're, they're pretty strong ones to keep yeah. you in keep you in this really right um, how about you beth what narratives are you, the, out there in the adoptive parent from society and what you were told yeah um i was told very little explicitly so all of my assumptions were just kind of implicit in the in the air in the culture but it was for us it was something to celebrate um we, our family was not stigmatized at all. I didn't feel like, and it was my point to try to make Joy feel like part of the family. Like we're not um, to be treated differently or anything. And and our extended family and everyone just embraced Joey. And um, so I was very conscious of him being stigmatized in a negative way, but that didn't happen. And we, we just, I loved being an adoptive parent. I thought it was so awesome. And I thought everybody should do this. <laughs> I'm so ashamed to say that, but uh, I thought it was great. And I would take um, treats to his classroom for gotcha day, which also I'm ashamed to say that I celebrated gotcha day. Now I know that uh, most adoptees don't like that word or that concept. And it's not really a fun day to celebrate. So again, I'm out here trying to expose the things that I did wrong. So other people yes. won't do that. So, yeah. Yeah. So he, and he was, I couldn't figure out, I'm like, why aren't you enjoying God today? I'm doing all this, all this work. I would, you know, I would try to, I would try so hard to make it exactly what he would like. And he just never liked him. Like what is going on? Oh my God. It took me so long to figure out. Well, of course that was like his worst day of his life that you're trying to celebrate. It was our best day. We were so happy to be parents and it was his worst day. So there was a huge disconnect there. And I just was so clueless. Um, so now if I were to do it again, I would never call it gotcha day. If anything, just celebrate it with me and his dad. And, you know, don't even, <laughs> don't even bother him with it. It's not a happy day for him. Yeah. So things like that, that I just was oblivious yeah. to. Yeah. Thanks for talking about that. Cause that is a, is a thing that I don't think people really talk about much. 
How about you, Catherine? Um, because I, my pregnancy was in the 60s. Um, I was Catholic. My mother was a devout Catholic. The whole thing, we, every Sunday, every holiday, holy, holy day, I went to a Catholic grade school for eight years. So I was totally immersed in Catholicism, which if you're not Catholic, you may not know that at least back then, um, a big part of the, the Catholic way was, um, guilt that you are as a human, you are imperfect. You have original sin on your soul. And we studied that all the time. Um, and that we have to pay for what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And, you know, of course, now that I'm a grown up, it seems absurd. But as a child who is totally imprintable, um, I bought every single word of that. And so I became afraid um, I was going to make a mistake. I wouldn't be good enough, et cetera. So I grew up guilty and imperfect. Um and back then, virginity was considered um, a gift that you give your husband when you're married. Um, and so to have sex before marriage was uh, a huge conflict in my mind. I was a sinner. I was impure, blah, 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 blah. And um, and yet my boyfriend, of course, you know, 16, 17 years old, um, his physical attention was what uh, uh, made me happy, of course. So this person seemed to adore me, although he didn't treat me all that well, but he always wanted to be touching me. Um, and so I had a lot of conflict over being uh, sexually active. And I worried about having sex all the time. I mean, getting pregnant all the time because we didn't, there was no birth control pills. Um, so when I got pregnant, I was, um, um, just absolutely mortified, horribly ashamed. And, uh, everything around me reinforced that, you know, my parents' behaviors, um, the family priest that we had who, uh, set up, a. a me a residence for me at uh, Rosalia home for unwed mothers where I would hide out until the baby would be born and then the baby would be put up for adoption and the records would be sealed for 99 years so that whole narrative uh just screams shame shame on you and um Beth as you were saying it's it's uh back then for uh, people to adopt was um, considered uh, a noble thing to do. And um, the, the birth mother was considered, you know, shameful, but, you know, you, you did this bad thing and now you have to forget about it and you have to just get on with your life. The baby is taken care of, although nobody ever said the word baby to me. The baby is taken care of. She's going to be well-loved, and everything is fine. Yeah. Um, so what happened to cause you to realize that you were in the fog, Catherine? Now, you said it was your therapist, and that kind of broke open the seal of the lead box that you were in. Yeah. 
And as you went looking for your daughter, did you feel like that was healing you to do that? Or was it making it worse? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was a wound nurse and this reminds me of when there's a, a horrible, uh, dirty infected wound and you just blast it with solution to clean it out. And I kind of feel like that's how it was, was it was, I was just being blasted with all these emotions and all this need and all these years of, uh, keeping it hidden from myself. Um, it's yeah, it, that's, so was it healing? I don't think, honestly, I don't think my healing started really started or, or became more solidified or shallower. If you want to use that metaphor as a wound, um, until my book was out and I started talking to people like you, my daughter was, she said that she was ashamed. So we never spoke, but we emailed. Yeah. And I remember her using the word shame and just being blown away, flabbergasted because I was one of five kids. I was the middle kid. I felt like I was, you know, I was one, my parents shouldn't have had kids at all, but I was too many, one of too many kids. And, um, and like I told you, I grew up ashamed <laughs> for everything, <laughs> for just being alive. And so here's my daughter, um, the only child raised by uh, educated people who were well off. And man, I thought she would be living on the top of the world. I just thought she was, she would be so happy and grateful and proud that she was um, so loved, so wanted so chosen. Uh, and so I was blown away when, and I had read the primal wound, but somehow it was just back there. It wasn't real, you know? And, and so uh, when she said that she was ashamed, I, I was just like, what, what does she mean? Yeah. And it's taken me all this time. Uh, so my book wasn't out when we were having this interaction. So I hadn't, I didn't know, I didn't talk about being a birth mother. I didn't talk to adoptees. So I didn't know, I didn't know anything uh, like what, what you're saying, Beth, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> so it's just so, so shocking to me. Yeah. Um, so I think my healing really started when I started talking to people and, and hearing all sides and Donna, your story is so, oh my gosh, it's so complicated. Yeah. You're, you're you know, as having foster kids in the house who had their parents coming and you're watching this. Oh, I can't, it's just, it's all so complicated. It is. No matter what, what your story is, right. <laughs> part of this triad is so complicated. I just have one more thing to say that, when I was uh, a kid, I don't know, maybe 10 or eight or something like that, there was somebody in my family, a distant cousin, who had uh, adopted two little boys from Korea. And I didn't know these people very well. They were 
on the other side of the family. And anyway, we were, I only saw them a couple of times in my life, but we were at this family gathering and here were these gorgeous little boys and they were, you know, little toddler type people. And clearly they were different. We were all white, blue eyed lookalikes. And so I started asking questions and my mother said, well, they're adopted. And I never heard that word before. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, um, they came from Korea. And I said, why? You know, so we had this exchange that was, uh, the whole thing was very confusing to me. And I was told, don't talk about it. Just quit asking questions because I always ask too many questions. Just shut up about it. And so I didn't, I, I never understood except that the idea was that they were lucky because they had a, they were in the U.S. They had a place to live. They had parents who loved them and the parents were lucky because they had these gorgeous little boys and I, it's all such a commodity, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> but when I interviewed you, Catherine, I was shocked after reading your book and talking to you and interviewing you, how similar we had a lot of the same feelings and emotions, like you were saying the shame and the guilt and, you know, just the feeling like something was wrong and just the similarities. I was just shocked to hear. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's what we say all the time. It's just interesting. Yeah. So how about you, Beth, like mm -hmm. with your son, when did you feel like you were coming out of the fog? Was it when he committed suicide, started acting out? Yeah. He attempted suicide. Uh, let's see. Yeah. That was when he was 15. Uh, it's actually almost, um, let's see. It, it was almost on this exact day that it happened when he was 15. So four years ago. Um, yeah. So it took me a couple of a little while, but when I got with that adoption therapist, uh, I, ha I had my own sessions and my son had sessions with her too. Um, and it was extremely helpful and just like, it happened very quickly for me. It's just like, Oh, and then what do I do? Tell me what to do. Um, and at that point there was not very much I could do because, he was in crisis. Uh, he was addicted to all sorts of substances and just trying to self-destruct every day. So I was really kind of chasing him around, trying to keep him alive. Um, but while that was happening, I kind of had my own awakening and uh, this just this personal growth trajectory. Before before that happened, our family was just kind of running on the top edge of everything. You know, uh, I have a wife now. Um, that was, is Joey's stepmom and he and I, and we just made this wonderful little family. We loved each other. We had fun. We fixed stuff and went to play baseball and all sorts of fun things, but we just kind of lived on the surface. No one talked about feelings. No one dug very deep into anything. We just were just kind of existing. And I just thought that's how you do when you have a kid, you know, it's kind of chaos. You're just running to baseball, running to this and that, blah, blah, blah. but Joey's, crisis and this, uh, it, it, it forced us all to really dig deep and go, okay, okay, let's get down to basics here. And it's, it's caused me to look at myself very, very deeply. Um, it's very, very painful. And, uh, I had to look at my own attachment wounds, my own infertility grief, my own, all the shit that I didn't deal with. Now I'm dealing with, it. now I'm having to deal with it. 
and it's in a way to help Joey, but it's also just to help me to be a better mom to him now and to do what I can now to, um, to be whole and present for him so I can help him through this. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that the adoptive parent has a lot of fog and just issues as well as, you know, the birth mom and the adoptee. Um, what about you, Donna? What kind of brought you out of the fog? So it was um, about a year ago, actually. Now it's Jan- what oh, gosh, yeah, it was, it was a year ago. I, I actually think there was some gradual stuff going on beforehand that was kind of preparing me. I even being here in the Caribbean, <clears throat> I'm not even sure that this would have all come about if I'd have stayed in the environment that I was in. It's very strange. It's it's beautiful that I've got this environment for the healing that is, is so required after this. Um, but I, um, I'm a hypnotherapist, but I had to hang my hat as a hypnotherapist, really. Um, because whilst I could hypnotise people, I, couldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to be hypnotised. And this was another part of me knowing this, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> I know, I've known and so I stopped doing it because um, because of that. And quite a few of the techniques I've learned, I've stopped. But it was through a hypnotherapist group on Facebook that a guy who's a fellow hypnotherapist was talking to somebody who was trying to help an alcoholic. And he mentioned, have you tried the frozen baby technique or something? And it was those two words, frozen baby, that that hooked it was it just got me and I got in touch with Steve I he's now a good friend of mine he's a fellow hypnotherapist and it was in that zoom conversation that he shared with me primal wound never heard of it before and that he was sometimes supporting adoptees which have got their own group on Facebook which I didn't know I didn't know there was all these adoptees. I didn't know that other adoptees had been so desperate to see their birth mothers. I I didn't know any of this. So it, it, and then something happened whereby a a cousin's daughter committed suicide and it was awful. But I remember for about two weeks, I felt this huge emotion of guilt and I couldn't shift it. And I couldn't, it's like I wasn't responsible for this girl's suicide, but I, I felt guilty. And, um, yeah, it made me realise that that level of emotion, that feeling of guilt, was what I used to carry when I was younger. And, oh, my God, how on earth did I get through that? And it was all coming to the surface. And, and to, to be truthful... For the last 12 months, I've just been going through this ever since. And I'm now reading The Primal Wound in a group of adoptees. And we're reading a paragraph at a time and taking it in because I simply can't read it on my own. There's too many many things in there that just, it's so obvious now, you know, and and I read that and it hurts. And I know it's hitting me because I can walk away from it and it's gone. I've forgotten what I've just and that's and that's that's my mechanism is is not allowing it in and that's why we've chosen all of us three of us to read it discuss it 
and stay with each other until we're ready to leave. And I would, I know we're a bit off topic a little bit here, but anyone listening, I adoptees, I would recommend that you do this, do it this way. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a really great idea. Because I know I just read it, sped read it and threw it in the garbage. (laughs) But the second time, I'm still on it. Like I still haven't finished it the second time. Like I got about halfway, I think, and now it's sitting there. Well, listening, listening to Catherine talking, uh, um, especially Catherine, like, um, oh, I feel so connected with you as as a birth mother. And this last 12 months, the grieving that I felt for my birth mother, the understanding and I'll just share this quickly because Catherine, you talked about shame and your your daughter. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was finding myself feeling threatened. So I was in, there was something going on. I can't remember what it was, but the emotion that I was feeling, because I am getting through this, I know I'm I'm gonna get through this. So I'm identifying what's triggering me to smoke, what's triggering me to do this. And I realized about two weeks ago, I felt under threat. But then when I wrote it all down and looked at it, it was like there was nothing for me to really be threatened about. But I've started to feel into the emotions that my birth mother was feeling when she was carrying me. And the amount of threat that she felt and fear and anxiety. And there's certain, and I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that it actually is likely that I have been feeling these feelings and these emotions from her and they're not actually really mine wow so yeah this journey is is incredible it's it's just incredible but that that really was the opening for me and then finding out that there's not just a few adoptees is I mean I'm also recently on the wellness leadership side of the fireside adoptees and uh, and I've, I've built a really really um, nice big tribe within um, this community. So when my book finally, when I can actually get pen to paper and write it down, um, I'm aware that there's just so many people in in need of of this. I just didn't know this time a year ago. Didn't know. Yeah, didn't know any of it. It's crazy. It's crazy. So. What have you all learned since coming out of the fog, not only about yourselves, but maybe other um, triad members, just like even today, anything that someone said today that, that you didn't know or struck you that you can relate to anybody? I had, I hadn't, um, I hadn't even thought about the fog as the term for birth mothers or adopted parents until now, really, until you've brought this. And listening to Catherine and yourself, Beth, it's like we we really are all impacted by this so deeply. And the fog, it is, it is the right term um, for 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 the whole triage. I and that's that's new to me. Uh, I, I've been coming out of my own fog, relating more with my birth mother. Um, yeah, with my birth mother, the morning and and my adopted parents. This just gives me a lot more understanding and, and helps me to understand why I do find it difficult to talk to my adopted mom. Yeah. Because I don't I don't want to hurt her. She her intent her intentions have always been good for me and all of the children. And she, so um yeah, I've learned a lot 
from this about uh, about um, the triage really being impacted by this as much as uh, as ourselves. Yeah, I really. didn't really know either till immersing myself in the adoptive community and just seeing all sides. You just see so much that you and I'm just I was just blown away. I was just blown away, and I was like, we're all. We all have the fog. We all have it. So so glad we're having this conversation and that you guys were brave enough to come on to talk about it. Um, Beth or Catherine, do you want to say anything else about what we've talked about or if you learned anything today from someone else or? Um, the only thing I want to ask is that you keep doing this. If the rest of us could keep meeting, I think that we have a lot more to, to talk about. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you could do a weekly thing or what, how people's availability is, but I think it's a fabulous way to bring all sides of the story together. Um, Beth, my heart really goes out to you. And um, I know from my interactions on social media um, with first mothers, birth mothers, there's an awful lot of bashing of adoptive parents. And I, I don't quite understand it, except that um, people are threatened. Uh, um, you know, there's a push-pull that goes on that, you know, maybe in individual cases, there's a, a, an adoptive parent who is um, less than helpful. But each one of us human beings has a, our own stuff that we're dealing with. And, um, I think that we all want to be okay, don't we? And however we get there is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good thing. And so I, I believe in communication and, um, as I think we've all been saying to keep learning and be open and, um, try to empathize, to put ourselves in the other person's shoes or, you know, to have their viewpoint. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah. Thank you both um, for sharing your stories. And I, I'm honored to be here at all. And yeah, I do get beat up quite a bit in the space. And I'm willing to just keep putting myself out there because I know they're not personally attacking me. They're perhaps they were abused by their adoptive parent and had a horrible situation, which happens quite a bit actually so I try to just remind myself that they're extremely in pain and they're just lashing out but I I feel it's so important for all of us to get this word out because okay Donna you're like a hypnotherapist and you didn't know about adoption trauma that that just I'm not criticizing you at all, but it just goes to show that this industry, it wants us in the fog. The, the adoption industry, the whole machine wants us to be not thinking about it. And Catherine, the fact that you didn't even hear the word baby or that you didn't know what adoption was years later, what that it's just, it, it's just a crime that, that, things have been hidden from us and from all of us and that we weren't told any of this stuff. And it's not like adoption is brand new or something. It's, like, it's purposefully hidden. And so I'm just going to keep doing whatever I can do to, to bring all this to light, to help other adoptees and birth 
parents and adoptive parents come along and help our, our adopted kids and just help to make them as whole as they can be. And we just all got to keep working. And when people are, are super mean <laughs> or, you know, super triggered and, and, uh, lashing out, just whew, let it go as, as much as we can and just keep moving on. Cause it's, this information needs to get out there. Yeah. Everybody's at a different point in their journeys. I mean, there's some Facebook pages out there that, that all they do is they're just traumatized and hurt and all this, like you said, lashing out. And it's just like, I just don't see how that's helping. I, I, you know, get it out, get it out, get the anger out, but let's not sit there and wallow in that. We're not going to, you're not going to get any, you know, healing. You're not, you're not getting anywhere with it. But I think this kind of forum where if we can show that we can be unified, we can come together, even though we might not agree, or we have different journeys that this is so important that we come together as a group, all the triad and just get that narrative, the real narrative out there. Um, so in kind of closing, what is like one thing maybe that you would want to tell an adoptive parent, birth mother, adoptee, and kind of tie in, give some advice. Like what should someone coming out of the fog as the triad, what do you think are some steps that maybe helped you or can help somebody that's listening that feels alone? Um, let's start with Beth. Okay. I have two pieces of advice for adoptive parents that are listening. Number one, go get your own therapy right now. Go get it. If you have an adoption competent therapist, go find them and go get therapy from them. If they have, you know, if they do a therapy with adoptive parents, some may, might just work with adoptees, but go get therapy, work on your own stuff, work on your own attachment issues, work on your own garbage. And that will really help your kid. And the second thing is go listen to adult adoptees, especially ones that have started to work through their stuff. The ones that are out of the fog, go listen to Melissa, go listen to Donna, go listen to all the adoptees that are out there in the space that are not the ones that are just blasting out. <laughs> the ones that are, that are able to articulate how much pain they were in, in a way that, that you can hear. So if you don't, if you get super triggered by one of them, just go find another one. There's so many of you guys out there that are talking about this. Go listen, go listen to adoptees on podcast, go watch reckoning with the primal wound, go however you need to do it, go find adoptees in your neighborhood. But with the internet, there's so many ways to find them. Go listen, just shut up and listen, just listen to them. Yeah. And that will really, really help you to be able to parent your child better. Yeah. And even doing that, I think before you adopt. Oh, ideally. You know, that, yeah, yeah. If people would do that before they adopt, maybe they wouldn't adopt. I'm just saying, but uh, yeah. Cause I mean, you even said you had infertility issues that you needed to deal with that you didn't know. Yeah. Nobody you know, told and, me yeah. you, you, you might want to look at this before you deal with trying to replace that child. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No one's so said, true. We were just like so on true. it. We wanted a child. So we just went from one thing to another. Yeah. Work on your own stuff. People. <laughs> Thanks. How about you, Donna? What do you got to say to the adoptees out there that are coming out of the fog? Well, just first of all, I just want to say, Beth, I absolutely salute you. I mean, you are you've 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 done it's the typical you've you've done the typical journey, and then you're out of it, and your story, your experience, your learnings are so powerful. I'm so pleased that you are doing what you're doing and um, 
I need to catch up with everything. That's what's been going on for me the last 12 months is it's just everything just, you know, falls. I've got so many books to read, this to do. And 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 actually I have done what I would recommend adoptees do. Number one, find adoptees. Just as you're saying for them to find them, to know what's going on, adoptees, find adoptees, find them because they're there. Whether it be on Zoom, me and Melissa, we realised soon on that Zoom seeing was just required within this and um and fireside has, has really grown a lot i think since we've that's we've, that's occurred um some adoptees need that physical contact some need that visual contact some just are happy to just know that they're there but it's the number one you you can't i mean i've come from being a trauma or emotional release coach and this has knocked me off. So, and I have the tools. I'm 50 and I've been working on these tools, not really realizing why, <laughs> just knowing that I needed fixing somehow. Thank God. Thank yeah. God. So that is the number one. And then, and then, yes, find someone, if not through the adoptees, a professional that will help validate help you to understand with compassion for yourself that none of this was your fault. Nothing was or is wrong with you. And what I'm, you know, you mentioned, Melissa, yes, you can wear this as a wound. I wish the primal wound was called the primal connection. Because I think a lot of adoptees take that word just like they do trauma. I've stopped saying I'm going to be a trauma coach. When I come back, I'll be an emotional release coach. Because mm. I think now everyone's wearing this yeah. trauma quite easily. Mm-hmm. But the primal connection would change the way you take those two words that you've never, in some cases, heard of before. So rather than feeling wounded somehow you're exploring the connection that's great with your birth mother and with yourself yeah rather than a wound which is like oh mm-hmm. so you know i i i am yeah I'm, I'm healing adoptees um healing adoptees is my new channel it will be my new website and it's healing all the way through this i'm i'm uh i want to get through the primal wound you know, and I will in, when it does, but, and I know I have to because I, it's, I don't want any more suppressed emotions and feelings and misunderstandings. So, um, but that's part of the process of coming out. So biggest thing, find adoptees. If you're a transracial adoptee, find them. They're out there. Yeah. There's so many of us. Yeah. And I didn't, and I didn't know until a year ago. I really didn't have a clue I know right we just feel so alone and then you just open yourself up and you're just like oh my gosh we're everywhere (laughs) this is so crazy I've I've got people calling on me now you know asking me for support and they can just well I'm not calling on me I'm there Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah wow I now it makes sense my place in this world makes sense these tools I've been gathering this whole experiences of something missing and uh, okay now I I get it I get it I get what this is all about well it's great to have this 
because the other day I had a birth mother contact me and I was like, uh, so I contacted Catherine. I'm like, what do I tell this lady? <laughs> so I told her who it was and, but it's great to have this network now, right. That I can like go to when you have people contact you, you know, I didn't really know what to tell her. I know what to tell an adoptee, but I was kind of like, what do I say? What do I do? What do I tell her? <laughs> so it's great to have this network of people to pull from. I'm, I'm actually supporting a lot of birth mothers at the moment um, that are going through their adoption, children being taken away from them, because there's a big problem with that at the moment. I know we won't go into that now, but I am like this last year has not only introduced me to adoptees, but also to a lot of birth mothers that are in desperate need of support. And my story with my birth mother, the connection I felt with her before she died is extremely powerful and gives some hope to these. I can tell them, do not give up. Do not give up. Don't ever give up. And the connection that you still have with her is amazing. So absolutely it's it's, it's it's all come there it was never gone it was always there it was always there when I was a child and then so these birth mothers that are thinking of ending their lives I'm like you talk to your child every night you tell them you love them every night you feel them inside every night because they are you and they are feeling you I didn't know about the primal wound but now I tick that box with a massive tick because I felt her so much that my adoptive mom knew that she had to do something about this. And that's the connection that's there. And for birth mothers, that's very powerful for them to hear from me. So that's, it's not just, I now know why I'm here for adoptees. I now know why I'm here. And it's like me and my birth mom together now. And I'd love for my mom, my adopted mom to listen to something like this. I think this could be a really lovely podcast for her to listen to and so that she's there with me and my birth mom helping a little bit or at least not helping but sitting there understanding why her daughter is doing what she's doing because at the moment I think she's probably thinking Donna just leave it now yeah I wish I could (laughs) well I don't actually but I, I do sometimes yeah it's tough it's tough. <laughs> what about you, Catherine? What would you tell birth mothers? Any resources or anything you can tell them? Um, I, I think the f- biggest thing that I want people to know is that I didn't know is that reunions are fraught with uh, emotion. I had I had no idea what I was doing when I looked for my daughter. I had no idea the impact of what I was saying had on her. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, period. And uh, just like way back when we thought you could take a child, take a baby, give it to a good person, and it would thrive. And that's not how it works. And I thought that I would find this person, we would catch up, with our lives and then we would be really good friends. (laughs) And so what I want people to hear people like me um, is if you want to search or if you have found and have a, a, a dis, how can I say it? I don't want to say dysfunctional reunion, but a, a reunion that is very rocky, that's not working. Um, it's not your fault, 
because I blamed myself for a long time that, you know, I, I did everything wrong. I said the wrong things, et cetera. I didn't know. So I would say, uh, this is a, it's a complicated experience and there's going to be feelings that come out that are going to be harsh. And so do your homework, maybe have a counselor or a therapist um, help the two of you together while you're trying to come back together. Um, and then for there's a lot of first mothers who uh, refuse to uh, allow their adopt their forsaken child into their lives. And, and they, these individuals will ask me what, what can I do to get her to, to want me basically. And of course I don't have that answer, but to just know that this is, it's just so, uh, uh, it's convoluted, it's complicated and professionals, um, are, are the right professionals. I saw a lot of therapists over my lifetime and, uh, it wasn't until I found the last one that I was able to make progress. Um, so yeah, just get some, get some help. Are there any Facebook groups? I'm sure. Oh my goodness. Anybody who's interested, um, in, in finding, uh, others like themselves or anything to do with adoption. if you go on Facebook and just put in the search bar, whatever it is you want, you know, uh, adoption, adoptees, uh, first mothers, birth mothers, um, adoptive mothers, adoptive parents, whatever. And, you know, when you, when a, when a group comes up, you know, you don't know what, what you don't know. So the first thing I look at is how big is it? You know, is it, is it, 10 people or because there's a a little thing under there that will say 1.5 K or whatever like that. Um, And then be mindful, you know, when you join a group, be mindful that uh, you shouldn't stay if you don't feel like you're uh, feeling good about it. Um, There's, there are some groups that are full of anger and uh, vitriol toward one group. Yeah. And, um, in that case, I, I usually will put something up that I, I try to be supportive of the individual and maybe ask a question that helps them think about what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been successful in a couple of cases with yeah. giving that kind of feedback or asking questions. So I, I don't have, um, any specific Facebook group or an Instagram, forget it. I can't navigate Instagram, (laughs) but there are some, um, major organizations. NAP is one of them that has a a weekly or sometimes more than weekly meeting over zoom that I think I've found they're really well attended. And I have felt like, um, there's some, uh, very useful and supportive, um, episodes on that meetings on that NAAP. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We can put a link in the show notes. Is there anything else that anyone wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Did we cover everything you guys wanted to say? I just wanted to let everyone know that I have a group for adoptive parents that are interested in looking at this stuff. It's called aptitude 
uh, a support group for adoptive parents facing adoptions challenges. So if any of you know an adoptive parent who's ready to come out of the fog or who's just barely out of the fog and needs some ah, some camaraderie, uh, we have a adoptive parent only space where we can just work out work out our stuff over here. And then I also encourage adoptive parents to be in Fireside Adoptees Constellation Group and be in these integrated groups as well. Yeah, we'll put those links in the show notes as well, Beth. Anything else? Did we cover everything, guys? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just share my, I think I've brushed on it a little bit earlier, but um, my new channel, which is Healing Adoptees on YouTube, um, it's slow. It's not, it's not, it's, I'm not, you know, pushing it, pushing it. I'm just, as my journey is, um, is, is going on, I am, when I can, recording it and getting it out. Because even though, uh, and I'm sure, and I'm, I'm hoping to share my journey getting through this. It might take me five years, but the book and the channel will, my intention is for adoptees when they follow this in sequence or read it they'll be able to get through this a lot quicker so um yeah just wanted to leave that in there because it's there's not much there but I'm yeah well, you're, you're the hardest working adoptee coming out of the fog I've ever seen Donna <laughs> you're gonna help so many people I can't yeah. wait I can't wait totally can't wait so anyway thank you guys all for coming today I, I hope you got something out of it as well as I know people that listening are going to get a lot out of it. So great conversation. And um, I'm just thankful that you guys are open to sharing your journeys. So that's it for today. Always remember listeners, if you're struggling, please find a therapist. Don't hesitate to reach out. And the adoption constellation is here for you. I'll have all the links to everyone in the show notes to Catherine's book in the show notes. It's a great book. It's a birth mother's perspective, but I really think that everyone needs to read it. In fact, my adopt my adoptive parent mom's reading it right now, Catherine, and she's like, yeah, she can't put it down. She can't put it down. So it's great. Yeah. Awesome. She's learning a lot. Awesome. So anyway, we're here for you guys and together we rise. So we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. I have just grown to love these three ladies and I have learned so much from them and I know I'm going to continue to learn from them in the future. I really think this is a great thing that we are doing at Constellation Conversation to have these conversations together and to work through these narratives that are being told together as one unified. It's so important. And I know there's a lot of adoptees, birth mothers, adoptive parents that have been hurt by other constellation members. And I just want to say that there is a huge awakening happening, not only in the adoptee community, but in all triad members, in all the legs of the triad. There's a huge awakening happening right now where if we don't know better, we can't do better. And I see all legs of the triad trying to know better so that they can do better. They are seeking out adoptees to listen to our stories so that they can understand us. And I'm trying to do the same for them. I'm sure you've heard the saying, hurt people, hurt 
people. There's so much hurt out there and it needs to stop. And the way it stops is to have some compassion. Everyone has a story. Everyone has reasons why they've done what they did. We may not agree, but that doesn't matter. We don't need to agree to help heal the world and to help educate the world on adoption. I hope you got something out of listening to this conversation today. I hope you did gain some perspective and compassion for other members of the constellation. The awakening is happening. And if you would like to be a part of that awakening, please contact me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Let's get your story on the podcast. It doesn't have to be an adoptee story. It can be a birth mother story. It can be an adoptive parent story, a foster parent story. You could be a foster child. Contact me. Let's educate the world together. If you have not rated and reviewed the podcast, please do so if it's allowed on your listening platform. Also, this conversation was also recorded on video. So if you would like to watch that, you can go to my channel on YouTube, Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles, or you can also watch it on Fireside Adoptees YouTube channel. Lastly, if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing. It is free. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.